As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Hey, here we are again. We are indeed, yes. I mean, I'm enjoying our Royal Series. We're getting some very interesting new insights. Well, I think today we're going to talk to one of the more colourful, but also one of the best connected also one of the least discreet royal writers of them all. Well, I hope so. Give her an intro. Well, Lady Colin Campbell is an author of mine. She's written uh, several books, probably most famously a book on Diana, which came out just before Andrew Morton and said very much the same things. It was a book that she had originally worked with Diana on and they'd fallen out. But she's also done, I think, some very good books on, for example, the marriage of the uh, Queen and Prince Philip on the Queen Mother. Uh, and most recently, uh, a very successful book on Harry and Meghan. She's very well plugged in uh, in, in social circles, and I think she she does get some very very good material. All right, well, I'm looking forward to that. We've had a lot of response actually to the the little royal season we're doing. Lots of new comments. I mean, if you comment, I like doing this. User J E two E Y six X two one whatever says how much um, he or she loves the podcast. And has found and watched lots of them, and a very, very astute young woman here, Helen Craig, who might be related to me, thought that the best thing about last week's show was you getting lost on your way to my house. <laughs> right. uh, well done, Helen. Well said. Um, Elaine Edgar has joined the little family. Iona Marilyn, Lynn Hubbard. I think I may have mentioned Lynn before. Yes, Iona is from Canada. Um. Rebecca Donovan934 said some really interesting things on YouTube about Megan. Kind of agreeing with you, I think, Andrew, on that matter. Um, and lots of other people have been finding us. We're also, you know, I look at the charts. We're really popular in Scandinavia at the moment. We're in the charts in Finland, Iceland, and Norway. So I Gosh. Probably quite we're moving. Dark this time of year, there's not a lot much else to do, is there? Maybe. We're moving around the world. Well, I mean, I, I've only just come across a lot of the comments, and it is gratifying that people seem to feel that what we're doing is is interesting and informative. Uh, and um, 
It's yeah, just, they're finding know. the old shows. Um, remember the one we did about Andrew and Fergie? I think we should go back to that subject, you know, when your book's a bit further advanced, because yeah. I think that one got nearly a thousand views in the last three or four days. Uh, which Gosh. That's just on the YouTube. And that's just quite, probably more than our latest show did. So that's quite interesting. People yes, it's find interesting those how they go up and down. Explore more. Well, I hope people will come back to some of the old shows because we've got some great, you know, great material there, and and it doesn't really date. Um, no. I think we're pretty, pretty up to date with what we've got to say. And I think we should, you know, we will, I'm sure, go back to um, some of the things we've done that are not royal related, the miscarriages of justice, and campaigning journalists. Um, I'd love to do a bit more on COVID. I thought that was a, such an interesting yes. conversation. Yeah. No, I think, that, you know, we, we want to, to feel that we, we are pushing the dial on certain subjects. I mean, I think uh, I've asked Adam Sisman, who's just written a book about uh, John Le Carre's mistresses and how that informed his work to come and talk to us. And he's agreed. So that's, that's coming up. Oh, that's really interesting. Cool. Oh, well, um, we've got quite a lot to cram in today. Shall we say goodbye to each other? And hello, yes. Lady CC. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, Lady Colin, we're delighted to have you with us today in our series on royal biographers. You've written a number of royal biographies, and I think possibly um, the most famous is, is is are your two books on Diana. You got there really before Andrew Morton in many respects, didn't you? In all respects that were truthful and accurate. <laughs> Although Diana had very good use of Andrew, and she would have tried to get good use out of me that she got out of Andrew, because really, Andrew was her Goebbels, her minister of propaganda. And I don't for a second decry what he did, you know, had he not done what she wanted, he would never have written the book, and it would never have been the outstanding success that it was. And it would not have put him on the map. And I say, good luck to Andrew. Unfortunately, all his claims of being first to this, that and the other are absolutely fallacious. As I had to tell him on television in America once, uh, if you are the successor, you cannot be the predecessor. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, she wanted to do a book with you and you did go some way down the line and she gave you a lot of information, didn't she? Well, we started off, my my first Anna book started off as an authorised biography focusing on her charity work. So it really was not a proper uh, biography. It was going to be a sort of puff piece to make money for three of her charities that were three of my charities. And we, I went into the palace. I saw Dicky Arbiter because that's how it's done. I'm sure you know. You know, you you decide things privately. Then the, the royal tells you to write into X, Y, Z, A, B, and C, and it's handed over officially, and it's all green lighted. Uh, and she then decided that she was going to take full advantage of the fact that. Um, well, at first, I was very amenable because she actually spoke the truth at first, which was which I knew already that they were hopelessly mismatched. She had James Hewitt, he had Camilla, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. And then at some point, I think she must have spoken to somebody because she immediately changed horses in midstream, and having pretty much confirmed everything I knew. Uh, about their marriage and why it had collapsed, which was hopeless incompatibility. Uh, She then decided that she was going to play the victim. And unfortunately, once I inquired into some of the things that she was claiming, I discovered they were totally untrue. And at that, that point, I was either going to go along with it, which is what Andrew did, or I was going to pull out, which is what I did. And what um, were the lies that she was telling you? Oh, you know, that uh, I mean, at first it was that the marriage had broken up because they were basically incompatible. And she didn't understand certain things as well. For instance, she didn't understand that she had crossed the line when she slept with Barry Manneke. Uh She just couldn't understand it. And I had to explain to her that you do not screw the staff. 
And she said, well, Princess Margaret and one of the other princesses who will remain nameless, she said, well, of course, they've been having affairs for years with their bodyguards. And I said, well, they're born princesses. You're not. You know, she didn't get that distinction. And uh, I think to just not meander too long, she, I think she decided she was going to make Charles into the ogre, having already confirmed that he was a very accommodating husband. He used to have uh, James Huey to stay at Highgrove with his children as well. Uh, and, you know, he was very happy for her to have her own life, and he had his own life. And it was a very civilized arrangement and very traditional arrangement. And then It's, she it's, it's funny you should say that. Um, it's very interesting to hear you say that because... Um, Andrew and I had a long talk about the work that I did on the on the Diana Diana's life, and I think one of the things I was amazed to discover was for quite a few years there really was an arrangement, and even though she wasn't always happy, it was sort of stable. Um, and I think the tapes and then the briefings and the books clearly blew it apart. But Charles and his circle were quite relaxed about Hewitt, and for a while she was even quite relaxed, maybe not totally, sort of relaxed about Camilla. Do you think that's right? Oh, she was very relaxed about Camilla as long as her love life w was going along the way she wanted it to. Uh, she and There were problems because if she became too keen on the man and wanted to marry him, for instance, uh, she wanted to marry Oliver Hall, uh, you know, then there were huge problems. But if she and and at certain points she fantasized about marrying James, uh, I don't think that was ever in reality a realistic prospect. But she fantasized. So when the when her when her private life was stable and was ticking over the way she wanted it to, everything was fine. If she became agitated because she wanted more out of the relationship with the current lover, then problems started. Or, in the alternative, between men, then there were huge problems. Uh, and she would just go off the rails. Diana was very unstable, and I have a lot of sympathy for her because she really suffered from borderline personality disorder, which is a terrible personality disorder to suffer from, because you suffer, and so does everybody else around you. It's not like narcissism, where if you're a narcissist, you don't suffer, but everybody else is ripping out their hair. With borderline personality disorder, you suffer as well. Well, I was very interested in the early part of your book, actually, as well, or your books. I've only read one, to be honest. But... The Diana that we found when we did a, we did a series of interviews with her childhood friends, her teachers, Mary Robinson, the woman that employed her, lots of the people in her circle in the years before she married, and that this idea that she was a complete ingenue, an innocent, um, a rather sort of weak character, we thought was nonsense because it seemed to us that she was, if anything, a classic sort of sl young Sloan Ranger, lots of fun, lots of parties, quite a few boyfriends, big personality. You wouldn't want to cross her because she would get quite angry with you. So the whole idea of her as this kind of blushing virgin when she got married seemed wrong. And I think you probably would agree with that from your writing. No, she was never a blushing virgin. I mean, come on, you know. But she, but she had a very sort of demure aspect to her personality. And... And she, she, for instance, was not the greatest conversationalist, although she, she could be great fun. So, you know, she loved cleaning up after dinner parties, that sort of thing. So, I mean, there was that slight mm, awkward element to her personality when she was younger. And it developed into something else when she was older. But she was, she was never Barbara Cartland, who was my stepmother-in-law's best friend, when I was writing my first Diana book, she gave me 50 pages of notes and we spoke extensively. And she said, the public has Diana totally wrong. She was never, ever shy. All that head down, eyes up was because she was very tall. She said she was never, never shy, ever. And and the proof of the pudding is in the eating. 
because Diana, when she decided she was getting married and uh, chose the dress, she told, I think it was Rosemary Pittman. I can't remember exactly who it was. It's so long ago. But she told one of her great friends that she was going to wow them and they were going to wake up and see that she had arrived. And in the, and Kenneth Rose, in his diaries, confirms that her father told him that Diana refused to allow him to wear his uniform because she didn't want him stealing her thunder. And Rose mm. in his diaries says, oh, there's something there about Diana. And there was. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, I, another thing that leapt out from your book to me was you used quite a lot of Joseph Sanders as a source. Oh, yes. The, the financial advisor. I got to know him a little bit as well. And I, I thought he was somebody that seemed to know Diana really, really well. And not many people have ever talked to him. And he's a great insight for those final years when she's slightly kind of bouncing around after the separation and the divorce and the whole period with Oliver Hoare. And I think he's terrific. Well, Joseph and I were very great friends. In fact, I'm friends with his widow. His son is friends with my children. They used to go to each other's birthday parties they're pretty much the same age i met joseph in i think 1975 or 76 at cynthia and murray burford's murray is the present duke of st albans in those days they were the earl and countess of burford and joseph and i became great great friends he 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 had a little glint in his eye for me, but he wasn't my type. <laughs> but I really liked him. He was a great guy. And he and Diana were great, great friends. Not only was he her financial advisor, but he used to phone, she used to phone him four and five times a day, every single day. And Anita, his wife, said that she had no interest in her, Anita, <laughs> But, you know, Joseph, she was all over Joseph like a rash for the whole time that she was alive. And I think so, Joseph told you, didn't he, if I'm remembering correctly, that he thought towards the end she probably was looking to get married and may well have married Dodie, which other people say is not – other people have said that wouldn't have happened. Oh, I know it would have happened because uh, – I'm friendly with people who are friendly with the Khashoggi's. And Dodie's mother was a Khashoggi. And when I was writing my posthumous Diana book, I threw a cousin of mine who is whose name is Princess Marta Arslan. I met Bushra Fakuri, the famous uh, sculptress, who is connected to the Khashoggi family. And Bushra introduced me to several of them, but I already knew AK and I'd known him for years. And his son, Mohammed, was in my son Dima's class at Hill House. So I knew through, through the Khashoggi's themselves, who hated Mohammed Fayed, incidentally, that, that Dodi had confirmed to his step uncle on the day of his death that he had proposed to Diana and she had accepted him. I also knew through Elsa Boca, because you see, I'm part Lebanese, and we're now speaking about the Middle Eastern community. Lady Boca was half Lebanese and half Egyptian, and I I'd known Elsa forever. And Elsa was a great friend of Diana's, although she was much older than Diana. And Diana herself told Elsa, oh, Dodie covers me in love, and, uh, and that she confirmed that she was going to marry him. And mm. she also got in touch with the priest at St. Mary Abbott's. There's no doubt that Diana wanted to marry Dodie. Whether she would have married him or not is a moot point. She might have pulled out, but certainly at that stage, she was she, he had proposed, she had accepted, and people don't understand. Diana loved the fact that Dodie was a, a member of a billionaire family and that he was Middle Eastern. She loved the Middle Eastern culture. She loved the Middle Eastern family attitudes, the, the tremendous hospitality, the warmth that Middle Easterners cover people 
in, in a way that Britons do not, <laughs> with due respect. And she loved all of that. And she also loved the goodies. She loved the yachts. She loved the private planes because, of course, she didn't have the class of money to, to be on yachts and private planes except on the sufferance. But with the fires, she would have had the right to own them. And I'm sure that was a part of the consideration. And also, Dodie worshipped her and Diana loved being worshipped. And Dodie was a worshipper. He was brought up to worship his father. And I have many of my friends, great friends, were great friends of Dodie. I never, ever met Dodie, so I didn't know Dodie. But I certainly have a very accurate idea of what happened at the time. Of course, Rosa Mountain, for instance, was has has all been dead against the fact that Dan would ever have married Dodie. Because and and I have to say there is a tremendous anti-Muslim vibe that I get from Rosa. Uh, now I don't know if it's because Dominic Lawson is Jewish or if she just decided that she but but I do know that Diana was in the process of dumping Rosa. But the good thing where Rose is concerned is that Diana died before the dumping was accomplished. Golly. And what was the reaction in the in, in the royal family? I mean, did, were they aware that she might marry Dodie? Well, she'd only accepted him the day that she died. Right. Uh, you know, but but my impression was that because I mean they they obviously had their finger on the pulse to a, to a degree and certainly will have known what happened afterwards, that they were delighted that Diana was going to be committing, committing social suicide. I mean, Diana had been, a, had been an albatross around their neck for years. And, you know, they were absolutely thrilled that she was going to be committing social suicide. Do you think, Can I mean, had she, had she survived, had she married him, how would you imagine her life going? Would there have been more children? Would she have mended her fences with the royals? Would she have been a famous philanthropist? Or what do you think would have happened to her? When she was, she had already started to mend her fences with Charles. I mean, they were getting on much better. She was, she was accepting of the fact that he would marry Camilla. And this also freed her to marry whomever she pleased. Uh, so I think that she had been mending, trying to mend fences. I mean, she mended fences with loads of people, including me. I mean, she did it very publicly as well. She did it at the Russian ambassador's residence in front of a room full of people for the first time. You know, she, she understood that she had been frozen out and she didn't like the fact that she had been frozen out. And she, she tried to mend fences. But what would have happened, I think, I think had she married Dodie, because Mohammed was already setting up an international charity for her to, to be the leader of. Oh, really? Sorry? I didn't and, know that. That's interesting. And weren't they also looking at Julie Andrews' old house in California? Yes, I think he bought it. I think, I think he bought it, and that was going to be their California residence that's okay. right he bought it and why had you bought. why had you fallen out with her was it she upset about the book or was there another element to it <laughs> totally the book <laughs> i mean she told joseph joseph actually told me he thought it was funny and so did i she told joseph i don't know who lady colin has i've never seen her or met her joseph said <laughs> You seem to forget. <laughs> and she, well, <laughs> you know, she was furious about the book. She was, but she was furious because she knew that I knew the truth. And I think she didn't expect me to write the book. Oh, I think she expected me to fold, but I'd accepted the uh, advance. I'd started the book. I'd, I was not going to give back the advance. And di as Diana used to say, the book was baby money. And she knew I wanted to be free of my family's 
uh, restrictiveness, let's put it that way, and that I wanted to make my own money. And she encouraged me on the, because you see, my, my book started out as a charity fundraiser. And with her, with her encouragement, it was then switched to being an unauthorized but accurate biography, which I have to say gave me pause for thought because I was not exactly eager to be ostracized. And in those days, the wisdom was if you said anything, even positively, about the royal family without their approval, you would be ostracized. And then I thought, well, and she kept on saying, oh, you want baby money, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, yeah, I do want the baby money. And also, my social position, such as it is and was, was not really that dependent on the British royal family or any connections I had in that regard. You know, I was born into a very well-established family. I have friends all over the world. I mean, you can't steal my ancestors, no matter how much you want to try. And so I thought, well, you know, if I blot my copy in England, there's still the rest of the world. And, and at that point, I proceeded to write a truthful book. And what was the reaction when you produced this truthful book? Did people believe you? Well, <laughs> I mean, I was sort of naive and I had listed absolutely everybody to whom I had spoken. And, uh, you know, and they were all perfectly happy to be listed until the proverbial brown stuff hit the fan. Uh, and if this was before anybody, you know, this was before Morton's book had even been written. Uh, so I had a few months hanging out to dry, so to speak. And people like Barbara Cartland and Edward Montague uh, and Janet Milford Haven. Well, no, Janet, in fairness to her, did not recant publicly. But she was furious with me privately for mentioning her name. And I said, but Janet. You told me I could. Anyway, we kissed and made up. But Edward Montague, I phoned him up and I said, how dare you lie and say that you didn't speak to me? I said, if you do it again, I'm going to sue you. You And I said something very nasty about his, his past and his prison record, which I will not repeat now. But it certainly zinged home. And I said, and if you think you're going to, get away with anything else again, you can think again. And I phoned a Barbara and I said to her, how dare you say that you, I said, I've got 50 pages of notes. And she said, oh, well, sweetie, she said, you know, you just don't seem to understand. Nobody speaks the truth to the press. I said, well, you better damn well start if you know what's good for you. Otherwise I'll have your clutch box in a court of law. <laughs> you've, since, you've since written a book on Harry and Meghan. Did you have a similar reaction when you did that? On Did you have to pull? Sorry, I had no interest in Harry and Meghan whatsoever. It came to me. I think it came to me because of my Diana books and my Diana record, and I think people were very concerned as to what Meghan was up to and that the direction she was leading Harry in uh, by his nose. And his nose does not repose on his face. It reposes elsewhere. And Point taken. Good. <laughs> like and many members of the royal family. <laughs> the winds are men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, so I had, it, the story came to me and people, I can't say who or anybody, you know, I can't be, Give but too many details. So people in the establishment were leaking uh, information on Meghan to, because they wanted a critical account because your book was quite critical of Meghan. No, no, no. They wanted. They, I think. I think they wanted me to write the book. And remember, this was before they'd left. They wanted me to write the book, so a shot across her bow, so that she would stop her. Uh, antics, for instance, her commercial activities, her troublemaking, uh, trying to 
to uh, expand her role into political areas. And I think they thought that if I wrote that trouble was brewing behind the scenes, I would do it delicately, but decisively, because I know exactly how far to go. I never go further than I should. Uh, and, you know, if I if 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 the iceberg is shown, there's usually quite a bit beneath it. I'm very careful and measured as to what I actually do say and how I say it. And they uh, are aware of it. Were you surprised the way that the Meghan relationship with the royal family ended insofar as it ended? Or did you see that coming, that there would be a big break in the way that there was? Nobody saw it. I don't think anybody saw it. And I don't, I mean, my book was was supposed to be delivered, I think, two or three weeks after they mexited, you know, which caused a huge problem for me. And also, I, it meant I had to change a whole lot of stuff aside from the end, because uh, the focus shifted dramatically. Uh, and, you know, in, instead of just being a shot across the bow, it had to become something, a, a tale of of departure and recalcitrance. And so nobody saw it coming, uh, oh. so far as I'm aware. And what does the future hold? So what does the future hold for them, do you think, now? How, how is it going to play out? I don't believe in making predictions. I'm not a fortune teller. But I will say character is destiny, and you only need to see what they have done so far and how they have systematically misplayed their hand at every stage. Megan is a small-time operator in a big boys game. Megan is like one of those, I don't know if they still exist now, but in New York in the latter part of the last century, you would be walking up Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue or Lexington Avenue, and there'd be all of these people, oh, card people, you know, playing this some game and uh, and. That's Megan. That's a category of Megan's uh, game playing. Uh, and then all of a sudden she is on the Titanic with super card sharks as well as super rich people who are able to be fleeced. And she's totally out of her league. And I think that you only need to see the way she has functioned to see how totally out of her league she is and how she has misplayed her hand at every stage because and she is unsophisticated. She is, she, she has no nuance. She is, she's, she's an operator. And, but and is it all her, or is there some element of Harry here? Because, I mean, there's a sense with Spare that, I mean, he feels very embittered. And, I mean, he, it, it, in a sense, is not quite the innocent dupe that perhaps people thought he was. Oh, I think there's no doubt that, you know, Iago hit a nerve with Othello. And Othello obviously had it within him to be murderous. Uh, otherwise, Desdemona would have survived. But would Othello have throttled Desdemona had Iago not existed? No, of course, none of it would have happened. And uh, I happen to know some of the... Uh, well, let's not even go there. <laughs> All right. Well, I, 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 it's such a joy to talk to you. and I'm sort of jumping around a little because I'm aware we don't have much more time. But since we've talked about aristocratic arrangements within relationships historically and the Windsor men and how they've acted historically, I'd love to talk to you briefly about the Queen. So I know you've written about her and her marriage. Um, do you think that what she had with Philip is an example of an arrangement that worked, or did the crown get it wrong? I haven't seen the crown. Okay. I saw, I think, the first two uh, series, and quite frankly, I was so disgusted by the end of it all. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And I, I thought it was, it was the worst sort of entertainment, beautifully executed, but really rather lethal. And let's not forget that Peter Morgan's father-in-law is Prince Schwarzenberg. So, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I could make a comment or two in that regard, which I will refrain from. I think that the Queen's marriage, the Queen was utterly besotted with Prince Philip when she met him. And she remained in love with him for the rest of her life. Uh, I think he loved her too. I think there's little doubt in my mind that he genuinely loved her. And he he was prepared to make the sacrifices for the position that he and she held. And he did it willingly. He did it at great cost to his ambitions, but he did do it. And I think, you know, if you saw them in a room together, uh, he'd be on one side, she'd be on the other, and they'd just flick each other a little look. I mean, that's not fakeable, you know. It's but, but you certainly not- hint, sorry to interrupt, you certainly hint in the Royal Marriages book on a series of affairs that Philip had in the course of his life um did that exist alongside this this very close um um love affair i think philip was a great flirt i'm not sure that it went beyond the drawing room but it certainly was definitely flirting in the drawing room i mean he flirted with philip had an eye for a pretty girl and he loved flirting uh to what extent it went beyond that I would prefer not to go there because there's absolutely no actual proof. I mean, you do have people like Sasha Abercorn saying that they actually never, ever, ever, ever had anything carnal between them. And I believe Sasha Abercorn, you know, and she was supposed to be his great, great love before Penny Mountbatten came along. And she um, was a great love of Lord Mountbatten too. Who? Sasha? Yeah. Yeah. But it's... And let's remember that Penny Mountbatten is is Lord Mountbatten's grandson's wife. And Prince Philip was a Mountbatten. You know, people don't seem to get it. That first of all, she... He could have been her father. And secondly, he was a member of the family. Uh, and I, I also think that the average person doesn't understand 
that very grand people are isolated to a large extent uh, and gravitate towards usually people within their families or people to whom they're connected, who who they know are going to be nurturing of their human needs. Everything doesn't have to be be sex, you know. It's I mean, you can have very close personal relationships. And, and also, Philip was one of five with four elder sisters who spoiled him rotten. He loved women. He genuinely loved women. But he also loved men. I mean, nobody's suggesting he was a homosexual, but he really loved. He had very close relationships with men as well as with women. And I think he, you need to remember that in some ways he was extremely uh, emotionally, oh, I'm trying to find the right word. Uh, sophisticated. Oh. Sorry? I was going to say sophisticated, but because of his childhood. Yeah, he was very, but he was sophisticated, but he was also very emotionally uh, self-reliant. Self-reliant. But with that self-reliance went a great deal of emotional need and spiritual need to interact with people. You know, he was, I mean, Robin Dalton, who was a sort of friend of mine, not a close friend. She was a very close friend of a very close friend of that. And she lived with David Milford Haven for years at the time of his marriage to Princess Elizabeth. And she said that Philip was a real cold fish. And in fact, I quoted her in my book. I forget it's, I think it's most likely the Queen's marriage. And, uh, you know, she said Philip was a real cold fish, meaning he was, he was not emotionally needy. He was, he, he was, he was needy of spiritual connection and human connection, but he wasn't emotionally needy. He and and I think he's a, he was a very complex personality, and yeah, he was a huge flirt. And let me tell you, he had an eye for a pretty girl. You never walked into a room that he didn't pass some sort of flirtatious comment. And did Prince Andrew pick up this, do you think? Did he inherit it? And do you think Prince Andrew is any threat to the monarchy or has he been sort of neutralised? Well, my take on Prince Andrew, I think you know Andrew, is that he has been gloriously set up. And uh, I think that Prince Andrew has been given a tremendously harsh ride by... A, a professional by her own admission who not only received money for her claim, $15,000 by her own account for having claimed to have been to bed with him, notwithstanding the fact that the people who I know who know Prince Andrew extremely well say his tastes don't run in that direction. Um, what to I men? Mean, to men, you mean, rather than women, I or just older women? That's not what I mean, and you're, I'm not sorry. I'm not going to have to put words in my mouth. <laughs> but I mean, older woman, naughty boy. Uh, he and the, you know the the Andrew thing I have covered elsewhere, and I think it's too complex to go into here and now. So why hasn't Andrew, in a sense, sort of defended himself better? I mean, he's he he settled with Geoffrey. He's didn't give a, a particularly helpful interview for Newsnight. You know, he he hasn't played his cards very well. Well, he's not very bright, and he's not very sophisticated. But he must have advisors. <laughs> you you know, if you don't listen to your advisors, <laughs> there there is as good as the stones on the ground. Uh, he, he felt that he needed to do it so that he could walk his daughter down the aisle unblemished without all of this nonsense coming up. And he miscalculated 
And I have to say also, I mean, I think that Emily Maitlis in some ways was inhumane because every single public figure, and I now speak as a public figure, has been in a situation where they have said highly incriminating things without realizing what they have said and what the spin can be put upon it. But he said a number of things which are untrue in the Newsnight interview. You know, he said he didn't, he he couldn't sweat. He said he hadn't seen Epstein after a a particular time. You know, that makes one worry that maybe, you know, if he's lying on those things, he must be lying on other things. Well, I don't know that he was lying on the, that he can't sweat thing. Uh, and, you know, they they published a photograph of him in a Seattle and cotton shirt. And the, the glisten of, of the Seattle and cotton shirt is what they said was sweating. Well, I'm afraid people don't sweat on their shoulder blades uh, sort of thing. It's and and uh, no. But what I think where he he hanged himself on that interview was by saying that he did not regret the association with Jeffrey Epstein, that he got a lot out of it. And I think he was genuinely trying to be honest. And he didn't understand the impact that it would have. She understood the impact it would have. I mean, I've been in a similar situation with my first Diana book, where I gave an interview to gratis my brother, to one of his clients who owned a newspaper. And fortunately, the journalist, I, she asked me a question and I gave the answer. And she said, you can't say that. She said, if, you, if I print that, she said, it will destroy your reputation. And, and Emily Maitlis will have been only too clear about the fact that she could have, and she could have easily cut it out and said to Andrew, don't say that. You can't say that. You, But she didn't. Now, you could say he's an adult. She's a journalist. Well, they're also human beings. And he had, and he effectively then had to fall on his sword because, because if he didn't, it was going to destroy the Queen's Jubilee. Mm. And he knew that she was dying, as did I, as did everybody who, who knew anything, knew that she was dying. So he did the right thing. He did the and deal. Is there any way back for him now, or do you think that's his life over? No, I don't think so. I think privately, yes, I mean, he has, you know, he still gets asked to country houses and shoots on that sort of thing, and he has his own shoots, etc. Uh but I really think no. I think he's. I think he has been compromised beyond redemption. Well, shall we? Shall we say? Because I think we have to wrap this up now. But shall we say we could maybe have you back to review Andrew's book on Andrew? Because I really, really want to hear you call Andrew a naughty boy again. That was the highlight. <laughs> the highlight of my podcasting life so far. And I thank well, you for I it. have to read the book first. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, well you'll be one of the first to read it. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant thank conversation. Brilliant. Really, no, really enjoyed it. And I appreciate your time. And you thank always you. have very interesting insights. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Well, a lot of fascinating stuff there. Um, <laughs> new stuff. You are such a uh, naughty boy, Andrew. <laughs> I've been pushing her on certain things. She wasn't going to go public on some of them. But uh, still, quite a lot of revelations there. Uh, I mean, clearly very well connected, and that's how she gets a lot of her material. And that's, I think, one of the keys. You know, you can work in the archives, but if the stuff isn't there, it's 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 with the gossip. Mm, interesting. No, I thought it was such an interesting conversation. Very entertaining. I uh, really enjoyed it. So now we've got to do something a bit different. We talked about doing this, and now we're going to do it. We're going to have a chat to somebody we've found or has found us through this uh, podcast. Um, Julie Koenig um, from Ohio, who has been listening to us and sending comments for quite some time. And we thought we'd have a chat to her about um, the sort of thing she's interested in. And she can ask us questions about the stuff that we do. 
Yes, no, I'm looking forward to that. It's nice that we've got uh, we've got someone, you know, in the states who's really well informed and um, uh, interested. Yeah, and if people like it, let us know, and maybe we can do more of this kind of thing. Um, I mean, before we go to Julie, do you want to talk a little bit about upcoming episodes? Um, we mentioned earlier that we're hoping to do one more royal one and then move back to other things. Well, we've got a series of, I mean, series of things that come up. People have asked about, for example, the Romanovs and the Kennedys. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it, it's, you know, I think we probably should do some more miscarriages of justice. We've talked over the years, of, or over the last two years, about doing David Kelly, mm. um, which is a bit of a mystery. Uh, so I think there are a lot of stories out there that perhaps really repay further examination. Jolly, jolly good. All right. Should we go to Ohio? Let's let's go across the Atlantic. All right. See you in a minute. Well, hello, Julie, and hello, King Charles. Uh, <laughs> you must tell us how you how you came to become friends. <laughs> so I visited the UK for the coronation in May. Uh, my cousin gave me this lovely <laughs> life-size cutout of Charles and said, you have to take him back to the States. So here he is. It um, caused quite a commotion at Heathrow Airport because he couldn't go. He couldn't be checked with our luggage. So we had to go to another desk. There was nobody there. Then we had to go somewhere else to pack him. So a lot of effort to get Charles back. Did he travel first class? (laughs) Definitely not. Oh, hello. It's very, very He's nice to meet in. you uh, and meet you in person. And thank you so much for reaching out to us with your comments and thoughts over the last few months. Um, I'm guessing that's not an Ohio accent. It is not. And actually, I have another story from the coronation. When we were we were there a few days before, you know, walking around the mall with millions of other people, lots of police were there. And we got talking to one guy from Yorkshire. And my husband's American. So he said to me, he said, so, well, you're not American. So where are you from? And I said, well, can't you guess? And he said, no, I can't. I said, well, actually, I'm from the Midlands. <laughs> and he said, well, you've certainly lost your Midlands accent, so I think that's a good thing. You come from up north too, don't you, Phil? I do, I do. We consider the Midlands of south where I come from, but um, <laughs> that's a different story. So why are you so interested in in the British, particularly the British royal family, and, and why have you continued to to kind of research them and speak about them in your new life in America? Yeah, so, well, intrinsically, they're part of our culture, being British. Um, I didn't move to the States until I was 32, so I was well indoctrinated into the culture. Um, My family, except my dad, we were all royalists. And really, my interest started when, like everybody else, Diana came on the scene. She was three years older than me. So that's where the interest started. And then last year, I started just giving talks at my mother-in-law's retirement community. They were very popular. Then I went to another retirement community down the street from where I live. Um, And then the Queen died and the press inexplicably got my number. So have you seen my work on Fox 8 News and Channel 19? Oh, we will link to it. We will link. Yes, exactly. So so that was really the catalyst. You know, when people say, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, and that so that was the catalyst for me. I just love talking about it. And you guys have taken me to a whole other level because I thought I knew everything about Diana and I don't. And it's nice to hear a different view. But then all the other stories associated with the Royals and sometimes not the Royals, the East India um, Company podcast that you did, listen to it twice. That was fun, wasn't it? Good. Is it it the scandalous side of life or is it the sort of dignified, historic side of life that attracts people? Because I'd I'd love to know if the whole Harry Meghan, it must come up all the time when you meet people to talk about the, the British Royals. Yeah, I go to, I do private events now, libraries, senior centres. And, you know, when I started, and I think Harry and Meghan had just moved to the States, everybody asked, what do you think about Camilla? And then it soon changed to, I can be doing a presentation about British royal weddings 
And one of the questions at the end is always, what do you think about Harry and Meghan? And my stock answer is, I'm Switzerland, um, but that doesn't fly. We we definitely get into it. Um, And I think when I started, people were supportive after the Oprah interview. But this year, I think the support has really waned. Um, And is it both of them together or is it them separately? I mean, are are people more sympathetic to him than they are to her? I think, well, yesterday, yesterday's talk I did, um, definitely there are no fans of Meghan. And I think the interest is, um, you know, to your point, Phil, I, I think it's the history, the pomp and ceremony, the Americans love. But there's also the scandals and the salacious gossip um, that they're interested in also. Yeah. I mean, they are different and they're so dysfunctional. I suppose like most families, but they just do it on a bigger scale. Mm. On a bigger scale. And how sad is it that this had to play out? You know, I really feel sorry for William and Catherine, the way this has had to play out. It is, it is sad. It's, it's a particularly, I think I've spoken before about, I was actually in Australia when the Harry and Meghan, that incredible wedding took place. And in Australia, on the other side of the world, people were dressing up to go to the pub, to watch it on the telly. There was such goodwill to, to, to her, especially. Um, it yeah. is a real shame. Yeah. And, and people, you know, I was asked yesterday, you know, was the Queen racist because, you know, she treated Meghan so badly. So I had two sides to it. There was one lady saying that and then another lady saying, Meghan is the worst thing that happened to the royal family. Um, like I said, I think there was a support and now I think it's it's gone. And I think the big thing to realise is the way you get the news in the UK and we get the news in the States. So... Sometimes it's just the salacious gossip. So, for example, a couple of was it a couple of months ago, there was the big car chase in New York with Harry and Meghan, and that was a big story. So, my local news that broke in the morning, the local news put that story on at six p.m. Well, by then it had been debunked that there was no car chase. The New York chief of police had come out. The mayor had come out. And anybody who's ever been to New York, there's no high-speed car chases <laughs> in New York. Everybody knows that without them coming out and saying it. But the news just reported that there was a high-speed car chase. So immediately, that's just lazy journalism. But that's probably more important to the story than debunking the story. It's what mm. people want to believe. I think we should make you our royal correspondent in the States. <laughs> I and would love re- that. <laughs> could report what's going on there that we're missing here, because I suspect there's stuff reported in the states that isn't re- reported here. For example, Williams' uh, affairs, I think, are covered in the states in a way they're not covered in this country. Correct. So, do you think William is having affairs? I don't know. I haven't been able to read anything. <laughs> I, I, I have literally no idea. Um, if it's anything like any of the other wins, it's probably yes, but I don't know. I really maybe don't. we need to see if someone can help us on that, or maybe we need to address that in a future talk. I mean, oh uh, we're interested in hearing what you feel we should be talking about because we've we've done a lot of royal stuff. But I mean, you said you like the East India. Should we be balancing it a bit more? We've just done a run of you know several uh, programs. I, I would love you to do more of that. I would love to hear more about the abdication. And I know you've touched on that in a previous um, podcast, but I, I think there's more to that. And even, you know, I do my talks and you see it was so great. The other night I should have taken a video. I put up the PowerPoints of your books and the, the books that I recommend. And people were getting their phones out and taking screenshots. And I was just talking a little bit high level about the books and you know especially traitor king that blew me away i i, I didn't realize everything that was involved um yeah that, andrew you should reconsider your retirement planning i think northern ohio looks like a good spot <laughs> yes i could give You're talks well. of friends <laughs> or i could be shouting from back of the room saying no i don't believe that oh. <laughs> yeah it's interesting but you know just quickly going back to william uh, there was something on Twitter that that was completely made up by someone 
um and they and they they said oh yeah it was just a joke with rose hanbury um so yeah there's a british journalist giles corran has said it all started in a drunken conversation in the pub and he he claims there's absolutely nothing in it but who knows really right i I you know i don't want there to be anything in it i can't take another royal scandal And I think there is a lot of goodwill still for William and Kate, and and I think a certain amount of sympathy, given all the kind of rough stuff that was said in Harry's book. Yeah. Well, I think you wanted to ask us who our favourite royals were, and, and certainly my favourite royal would be Kate. I think it's there's an interesting piece in the paper here in Britain today saying it's actually the woman coming into the royal family who are the ones who really stiffen the backbone and, and make them better people. Uh, and the Windsor men are pretty, pretty gormless generally. I would agree. And, you know, just to add to that, I really feel like her family doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for their hand in all of this. The way they raised her, the way they've behaved through all of the years, because the press has not been kind to them. Um, I, I think they need far more praise than they get. I think they, they're a obviously a great model for it for any family um the way they conduct themselves yeah no, I, I, would agree, I would agree with andrew I also with my australian hat on you know the republicanism was really popular in australia for a while it really people thought you know it was only a matter of time and so many of my friends said, when the queen dies that's it there's respect for her but when she goes we need to be an ind- properly independent country but on my last trip every supermarket checkout Oh, look, Charlotte's got a new dress. Oh, God, isn't George adorable? Oh, Louis with his hand. It's just, they, you know, they've kind of relaunched the brand. And I think, actually, I'm probably making this up a little bit, but I think that support for Republicanism is, if anything, gone down in these places. Well, I think what we have is a much more forward-looking monarchy than we had. It was a sort of rather like an old Russian Politburo before with the Queen. Now we have this idea of the, the, the next two generations are pretty clear. And they seem a pretty nice family and they seem to be very low key. I think they get that balance right between informality and dignity, which some of them can't seem to manage. I wonder if Kate will turn out to be a bit like the Queen if, if she lives that long. You know, she seems to have that kind of, you know, just grin and bear it, do your job, smile, you know, be appropriately kind of um, warm and friendly, but not too much. That sense of detachment. Well, the mystique, back to the mystique, you know, uh, I suppose once they let the, 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 open the door, then it was open house. Yeah, wasn't that, um, was that Winston Churchill who said you should never open the door to the, the mystique and the magic of the royal family? And I think, you know, Kate is one of my favourite royals too. And I think, what do we really know about her? We, you know, we know the general stuff growing up, but really we don't know what's, What's her favourite food? We know she likes to play tennis, but we don't know much. And I really see that with her. And I talk about this in my presentations that, yeah, I do see the Queen, you know, in her. Even the way she presents herself, the way she dresses, the the, the, the way she's with the colours, like the Queen used to say, I need to be seen to be believed. You can see um, Kate taking a leaf out of her book there. And then, yeah, we, we don't know much about her, which which adds to um, us the interest, us being more interested. And you've also got some questions for us, I think. I do. And I really want your thoughts on this one because I scratch my head and I don't have a lot of you know, thought I've got thoughts. I don't have any thoughts on it. So why do the royals find it so difficult to separate the business of monarchy? I mean, they are called the firm for a reason, from the family. And, and I guess, you know, just to ex- expound on that a little bit, you know, Harry is still in the line of succession because, well, birthright, he's still a councillor of state. It also, That seems absurd to me. And does it all just come down to birthright? But can't somebody issue letters patent? I mean, I'm really getting out of my comfort zone here with what I know and don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, they use letters patent to basically, you know, disenfranchise Wallace and and, and take away her HRH. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it, it is interesting. I mean, you know, and, and clearly we have you know their role also within the you know the head of the Church of England. I think their problem is that they, they, they have to represent the nation as the family of the nation. And yet, as a family, because I think their upbringing has been so, um, has not been very good, 
uh, I think for generations, you know, they, they create these, these people who are, are not very well adjusted, uh, and feel self entitled. Um, and, you know, a few like William seem to be, get through it and fine. Uh, and then the, the ones like Harry, I think struggle and it may be, it's about, uh, and Andrew too, exactly the spare, the problem of what you do with the spare. But I would have thought that I, I, I would love to be the spare. I haven't got my whole life preordained for me. I can marry the woman I want. Um, I, I, I would have thought there's a great deal of jealousy by, by Charles towards Andrew and William towards Harry. So I think it's the character, and, and I blame the Hanoverians um, and the Bose Lion. I think they just brought in some very bad blood. Interesting. Bose Lions, I'm just reading a book about the Queen Mum. It's quite a light-hearted book, but, uh, yeah, wasn't there some craziness in that family? Exactly. That? They were discouraged from marrying them. And the Spencers also have, have and that one of the reasons that um, Earl Spencer didn't marry uh, um, Anne Glen Connor and- was because... Uh, he was regarded as having a, the, or the founders having a straight of madness. Well, do you have anything yeah. else to so, ask us? Because we we are uh, yeah, over well, our time slot here. So, so Phil, um, who's your favourite royal? And you both have to tell me your least favourite, or you or you don't have to if you'd rather not. But no, how long you got? <laughs> well, I'm, I think my least favourite has to be has to be Edward the Traitor King. I mean, Andrew's book is so strong on that, but and and. I'm actually doing some research myself uh, in, into a book uh, about the Second World War. And the further you delve into the kind of circles around him, the, the, the nastier and nastier it gets. I mean, it's really foul stuff, actually. I mean, the guy would have sold us out in a heartbeat. Seriously bad man. I mean, above and beyond any nasty dynastic disputes or marital infidelities. I mean, this was a man who was kind of like uh, happy to be friends with Nazis. And I guess Diana's my favourite still. You know, I, did, I wrote my book, I did my series, I, I spent an awful lot of time. All my friends said, oh, for goodness sake, Phil, you know, she will, you know, don't fall for the charm. There's so many things that are wrong with her. But actually, I think that the charming, the professional, the funny, the slightly flirtatious side, the side that Patrick Jefferson talks so well about, even at the end, is the side that people are forgetting now. And I think that's a shame. I think, I think she had a terrific personality in many ways. I, I yeah, Sorry, I don't agree with with uh, Edward. Probably, you know, he's the the the, the least favourite because of the way he behaved. The, but the problem is, I like the rogues. In some ways, my favourite are the rogues. You know, I have a soft spot for Princess Margaret, um, uh, and even Prince Andrew. I love people who are self entitled and pompous because there's so much more fun to write about. <laughs> that's a good uh, point. <laughs> oh, that, well, yeah. that's a good, a pretty good end note because we're we're way over because we, we we're trying to squeeze you in alongside okay. Lady Colin Campbell. By the way, oh wow! Oh my gosh! So, oh, well, lovely. we're getting longer. We're getting cozy. Felt people. We did forty minutes, and now we're moving to think more towards the hour. I think people yes, feel that we they can cope with an hour of us now. Good, yes. and I thought of some more people that I'll put in an email to you that you should um, talk to. Oh, Who's great! Doing? Thank you. Very good to see it's you. I'm nice to talk to you. Just to Charles, there he is. <laughs> and yeah. talk to you <laughs> soon. Yes, give our best to Charles. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a Podcast World production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.